SFPUC regular meeting of January 23rd is now called to order. We have the roll call of officers, please. Of commissioners, please. Good afternoon. Before I call the roll, I'd like to announce that item number six, the BOSCA update, um, is going to be uh, pulled from today's agenda, and item number 15 on closed session will be rescheduled. Um, President Paulson? Aye. Here. Vice President Rivera? Here. Commissioner Jami? Here. Commissioner Maxwell? Here. Commissioner Stacy? Here. And you have a quorum? Thank you. So before the first item, I'd like to announce that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission acknowledges that it owns and are stewards of the unceded lands located within the ethno-historic territory of the Molecla Ohlone tribe and other familiar descendants of the historically federally recognized Mission San Jose Verona Band of Alameda County. The SFPUC also recognizes that every citizen residing within the Greater Bay Area has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of the Mowekwa Ohlone tribe's aboriginal land since before and after the Public Utilities Commission's founding in 1923. It is vitally important that we not only recognize the history of the tribal lands on which we reside, but also we acknowledge and honor the fact that the Mowekwa Ohlone people have established a working partnership with the SFPUC and are productive and flourishing members within the many greater San Francisco Bay Area communities today. So Donna, can you um, call the first item, please? Item number three is approval of the minutes of January 9th, 2024. Commissioners, are there any corrections uh, to the minutes? Um, seeing none, um, let's open the minutes to, um, can you call for public call? Comment, please. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on item number three? This is the minutes. Uh, seeing none. Um, seeing no public comment, um, I, we have a motion and second to approve the minutes of January 9th. So moved. Second. There's a motion and a second. Can we have a roll call, please? President Paulson? Aye. Vice President Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Commissioner Jami? Commissioner Stacy? Aye. We have five eyes. Okay, item number four, can you call that please? Item four is general public comment. Uh, members of the public can provide comment to the public comment to the commission on items that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. I do have two speaker cards, one from Spreck Rosecrans, and I know we have some other folks present. So please step up please to the Please come mic to the microphone. You're up. Rather lengthy, I'll be quick. Uh, this is about the Emerson's Community Hunters Point Bayview Economic Development Commitment. Members of the commission, as a concerned resident of the Hunters Point and Bayview communities, uh, there are several uh, points of interest and questions that I would like to bring forth to this body concerning a new waste treatment facility that has been undertaken by SFPUC in service of these neighborhoods. They are as follows. One, there was a commitment made by made to the HP and Bayview neighborhoods of 5% of the total costs of the facility's completions dedicated to the furtherment of education and training for residents of this project. Originally totaling 5% of the project or $300 million. What has happened to those funds? Expeditures to whom? What is the status of this endowment? How much of the fund has been allocated and how much remains? 
How has it been disseminated to the community and what body has seen, has been, and will be responsible for this distribution of funds? Two, the project seems to have hit several impasses that have put it outside the timelines originally set. Community presentations have not been announced or presented. This needs to happen as soon as possible that a, so that a sense of transparency from SFPUC is satisfied to the community uh, of the project is to serve. What is the current status of the project, progress, finance? What is the current expectation for the final projected cost of the project? As 5% of, of the project is committed to the community, what is the final expected commitment to the community based on the cost? And when will those funds become available for intended use? The SFP. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Next speaker. Commissioners, yesterday I listened to the presentation on the future of how this commission will address a number of very pertinent issues. We have to be very careful how we spend our money linked to the sewer system improvement project because we failed miserably with the water system improvement project. Now, this project, the largest project, and I'm referring to the sewer system improvement project, is in the Bayview-Hunters Point. And we have a contracting center. This center was created because I had a vision. It was my model. It was created so that we could address the FTEs linked to the sewer system improvement project and also help whoever needed help, like the contractors. In the middle, Juliet Alice chose to make it a contracting center where they dumped all these documents and nothing more is happening. Furthermore, the Southeast Sector Community Development Corporation was instrumental in certifying many of the small businesses before we turned over the model to Romulus from the Contract Monitoring Division. So we did what we could holistically to serve the community. Today we are asking you commissioners to give us the resources so that we can improve the community and address the pertinent issues. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. <clears throat> Hi, LaSonia Mansfield, Mansfield and Mansfield Construction Cleanup. I'm a native of the uh, Bayview Hunters Point. Um, raised my children there. I am requesting that the funds that they have set aside for the Bayview uh, reinstate the stationary engineer program for our community members. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please.
President Paulson and commissioners, thanks for the opportunity to speak. I'm Spreck Rosecrans talking for <coughs> Restore Hatch Hetchy. I'm here to thank the commission for its support of projects around Hetch Hetchy Reservoir, including uh, a new and safer Wapama Falls Bridge. If you've been there when the water's high, you can't safely cross the bridge. People have been washed off it and have in fact died, but you try to see the waterfall when it's high, it's, you can't get there. So thank you. Um, thank you for repairing the boat ramp. Thank you for your project uh, that you've approved to provide potable water to the campsite. People camp there. They don't really like to have to walk almost a mile around the road to, to where the potable water is. And thank you also for working with the Park Service on improved interpretation around Hetch Hetchy. It's much appreciated. Uh, I included some of these things in a letter I wrote to you folks a year ago that I thought was supposed to be part of like the MOA. I realized that was the wrong forum. But anyway, thank you very much. Thank you. Next speaker, please. General public comment. Seeing no more speakers, let us go to the next item. Donna. Item five is a report of the general manager. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, <coughs> item 5A is a human resources update, and Wendy Macy and Melissa White will be presenting. Um, good afternoon, Commissioners. Um, I'm Wendy Macy, Chief People Officer. I'm here to present our uh, update on our hiring efforts. Um, may I please have the slides? So, as we enter into the new year, I'm pleased to report that our vacancy rate for permanent funded positions um, is trending down after having risen during the pandemic. We all know about the challenges during the pandemic. Uh, our current raw vacancy rate, again, is trending downward. Um, and this is despite actually uh, having added um, over 100 positions in the, in the meantime, which is, as I've, the analogy I used before, is that the goalpost keeps moving down the field, but yet we're able to, able to trend downhill, uh, downward. So we're very pleased with that progress, um, and we appreciate the, uh, your attention to these issues. Um, this slide should appear as a familiar slide. Um, this is where we identify the bureaus or uh, enterprises which have the highest uh, numbers of vacancies or vacancy rates. And I do want to caveat that our vacancy rates that we report are raw numbers. Um, as you might have noted, uh, for example, when AGM Robinson uh, spoke yesterday, there actually are a number of recruitments in process, and so our actual uh, net vacancy rate is actually much smaller. So this time, for the first time since we've been reporting this, uh, wastewater actually came out with the highest numbers of vacancies. Um, very small things can impact our vacancy rates. Um, so in this particular case, uh, we had an unusually large number of 7372 um, stationary engineer sewer plants leaving the commission. Um, eight of them, uh, four of which were retirements. Um, but we are, uh, we have a strategy for addressing these vacancies. So what we have done is we've, an, we've analyzed uh, both uh, commission-wide and then also within wastewater, which of the classifications have the highest numbers of vacancies. Um, so for example, in, in wastewater, I'll just pick them because they're the highest number. Um, in addition to the um, stationary engineer sewer plant, we have senior stationary engineer sewer plant, sewer service worker, 
um, et cetera. And each of those, we do have an eligibility list uh, that exists uh, from which people can be hired from. So uh, many of these jobs that are in the highest numbers of vacancies do typically require um, either a degree, a level of experience, an apprenticeship, or, um, or some combination of those. So just for your information. This slide actually looks a little bit different. We've been really continually trying to uh, uh, improve the data that we provide to the commission. Um, so you may remember the one that looks like a circle with arrows going in and out, a little bit confusing. This is a little bit more straightforward. Um, and you can see that basically we have now, uh, we were on the cusp of that magical threshold of 2,000 positions filled, which we had not, which we had not achieved in the past, but um, as of today, I'm told we are over 2,000. Tomorrow could be different, it could be back down, but, but for now it's uh, 2,000. Um, we wanted to have a more, again, a more streamlined way of indicating how many transactions and recruitments HRS staff are actually performing. Um, you know, as has been noted before, we have a complex civil service process. Um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of movement among the agency. So just looking at the net of how many in and how many out doesn't necessarily always tell the whole story. So we like to focus on our transactions so that we can see that our staff are working on the right um, items. Thank you again for your continued interest. We're very, very appreciative of the commission uh, on our continuous improvement projects that we've been embarking upon as a team. Um, you know, the hiring demands of the agency are, you know, we will say relentless. Um, and the commission and the public, we, we've loved sharing some of the results uh, with these data in our presentations, and we are committed to be better leverage our data to continually improve the data that we provide to you. Um, we've also created a hiring priority uh, dashboard which we have shared with all of our uh, managers of the bureaus and enterprises. This helps us again to prioritize our work. Obviously, we can't work on all recruitments at the same time, so we've made a concerted effort to focus on those that are of the greatest need, um, and we focus it as, as you know, safety sensitive, uh, highest number of vacancies, um, ones where the, the, agent, the enterprise is fully uh, able to absorb new staff, things of that nature. So that has been a very good initiative. One of the things I did want to sort of give you a preview of coming attractions, and, and just so that you know, this is going to be a process. It's going to take a little bit of time to implement. But we mentioned the Talent Acquisition Group, which is the largest group within HRS. It's traditionally been um, uh, organized uh, in three main subject matter areas. And this is common, many city departments have it the same way, in that there is a group that focuses on examinations, there's a group which focuses on hiring operations, which are some of the transactions, and there's a group which is focused on uh, the employee life cycle. So this is more like the onboarding and things of that nature. Um, and this is the way traditionally we have uh, been organized. It has served us well in many ways, um, because uh, our staff have been able to develop specialized knowledge and expertise in these areas. They're, again, well-known, very common in the city. Um, but as you can see, just even pictorially, it's the very definition of a silo. Uh, so what we are now moving towards is what we call our TA revamp. Um, and this is a pretty dramatic reorganization of our team into more of a client-centered, cross-functional team. So, for example, Power Enterprise, 
would have a, a pod of analysts who'd be dedicated sort of soup to nuts for all the work for that enterprise. So that allows sort of better consistency with each of the enterprises, um, better familiarity with their particular operating needs. Uh, there's less uh, disruption if uh, someone should happen to be on vacation. There's always somebody in that group who's ready to come in and, and step in. Um, and importantly, from a staff perspective, rather than being sort of narrowly focused in those subject matter areas that I mentioned a moment ago, um, they'll be cross-trained. So that each of the members of the team will be able to understand in a better way how their work fits in with the overall agency priorities and are able to provide better customer service as well as better candidate service. Um, so this again is the, is the vision of the future. Again, it's got a lot of uh, benefits, we believe, to the client. We're very excited about the change. We do want to make sure that it's done right and that staff have their change management concerns addressed and their training concerns addressed. We don't want to just throw them into a completely new system without making sure that they have all of the tools in place to allow them to be successful. And there has been a little bit of uh, trepidation um, to doing something new. Change is hard. And uh, so again, we want to make sure we want to treat it as a project. We want to make sure that we do it right, methodically, and make sure, again, that all the questions and uh, uh, things are ironed out before we actually go live. Uh, but again, I wanted to give you this preview because this is the way that we believe that we can best focus our resources to provide the most uh, proactive, um, responsive, and uh, timely service to our clients. The other um, big thing, big news that we have in HRS is we finally have our two recruiters on board. Um, and you know, many times we've talked about our outreach and how important it is to have people um, who are adept at social media and who have boots on the ground. And so we're thrilled that they are here. They are really working hard on building our brand. Actually, um, David and Olu, if you want to stand up, they're in the audience here. They wanted to come and uh, say hello to the commission. Um, and they, they've really been doing just hit the ground running. Um, you know, I, I know some of the commissioners mentioned that you, you kind of uh, forward our, our, our LinkedIn and so forth, and so we appreciate that as well. And we've been able to at least get our advertisements that are specifically tailored to the PUC um, that uh, are, are said in a language, uh, you know, the words job titles came up uh, in another presentation. Um, again, making it more um, engaging and more um, uh, relevant to what our uh, candidate pool is looking for. So they're in the process of developing kind of a strategic plan for recruitment. So they're utilizing their expertise from the private sector to align um, our recruitment strategies with the SFPUC overall goals. They're working on new outreach channels, uh, diversifying our talent pool, um, and engaging in in-person events, such as our recent outreach event on student uh, summer internships. So um, I see I'm at time, and I'm happy to take any questions that uh, you have, commissioners. Great. Um, thank you, Ms. Maisie. Um, I always look forward to, I think all of us look forward to the continuing reports that you give and the innovation that you are doing. Um, and we don't have to say it again, and I think we said it a little bit yesterday during the budget hearings that, you know, this is always a a you know a moving 
moving target with, you know, people looking at benchmarks. And if it's at 15%, 20%, whatever it is, you know, for unfilled positions, you know, that is not only, um, you know, need-based, it's like, boy, we really need the people, but it's also, you know, it sometimes turns into a political football. So I guess this commissioner in particular appreciates the amount of innovation that you are trying and moving around because, you know, ultimately I don't think we know what the ultimate benchmark is. People say that 4% unemployment is a good thing. You know, I've always, you know, for 100 years said, why is that a good thing? There are still people unemployed. But there are certain, this is a science in some regards as to figuring out how to get, you know, these things uh, put together. So I, I appreciate these reports and I, I see progress even though, you know, obviously it's, it's, the, it's the benchmarks that we ultimately need to look at to see if we... Um, are, are you know winning or losing so to speak um, on one particular issue on the 7372s um, you sort of highlighted um, I assume for a reason that um, the stationary engineer position um, in the SFPUC is is volatile and, and and there are openings and stuff and I, I just I'm assuming you know that somebody on your staff is doing this but um, the path to a, a stationary engineer I know um, has been, you know, sometimes um, people don't always just say, I want to be a stationary engineer when I'm 17 years old. Um, they get there, some of them um, get, some folks get there in different ways. Sometimes teachers say, hey, I want to do something different, and they end up being a stationary engineer. Sometimes a plumber does. Um, sometimes a stationary in engineer goes to be a plumber. Um, and a janitor often moves into being a stationary engineer. I don't want to belabor this, but I assume not just by talking to Local 39, the Stationary Engineers Union, which uh, is the representative and bargaining unit, um, um, you know, for you know for, for stationary engineers. I, I believe um, hopefully your staff are reaching out to those folks to see because that pathway is sometimes um, not as straightforward as just I'm going to go into that apprenticeship program and I'm done, even though that apprenticeship is is uh, important. So just a little tidbit, I assume that there has been those connections on that particular need. Any comments on that uh, before I? Yes, we've been, we've been working uh, for quite a long time with uh, DHR, the, um, the, the, the labor partners, yeah. um, looking at some strategies for particularly in wastewater, um, either, either coming in and then also looking at uh, some classification work that um, helps people progress either you know within maintenance or within operations and so trying to make that um, a way that again gives people uh, advanced opportunities um, that's been a long uh, conversation and it, it, it continues sure, I, and I expected that but I just you highlighted it so thank you much uh, Commissioner Maxwell Would you explain transaction? You said that there's, I've seen it a couple times, a transaction. What is that? It's on. It's on, Don. Oh. Transaction, what is it? I, uh, thank you. I, 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 I was able to hear you because you project your voice well. Um, it, it was just pointing out the fact that um, uh, <coughs> Every time there is movement within the PUC, it could be someone doing a transfer, it could be someone promoting, it could be someone moving from a temporary to a permanent status, it could be uh, any number of things. Uh, those take the staff's time, even if it maybe doesn't net an additional new person coming in to the PUC. Um, as I've always uh, often tell my staff, 25 people come, 25 people go, it looks like we did nothing. 
And so uh, we thought it was important to be transparent to the commission that we not only show uh, the net increases or decreases in staffing, but also show, again, we have a system where um, people are able to promote, people are able to move around, people are able to diversify their skills in many different ways. We want to encourage that, but we want to also understand that uh, HRS analysts need to do a lot of processing on the back end to um, make all these things happen. Okay, thank you. There was a question asked yesterday and I, I, um, at, at our um, budget meeting, and it was um, uh, Bosca, Ms. Nkula, and she said, is the process sufficient to ensure necessary staff resources to implement the budget objectives operating goals? The budget's operating goals. Is, mm -hmm. is the process that you're undergoing, you understand the, the question? Yes, I mean, it's a, it's a, obviously it's a, it's a big question. Um, I mean, I, I can only just say that the strategies that we are uh, proposing um, are sound and appear to have uh, the most likelihood of success. I mean, we, we, you know, we don't know necessarily how many people will come, how many people will go. All that we, you know, so, so two, two sort of pillars of this uh, strategy to, to address, you know, overall staffing. One is the focus on retention, um, which you heard a lot of people talk about, particularly um, uh, creating permanent opportunities for our staff, right? So, because um, we believe that that is, has been a... Um, um, reason that some people have gone for other opportunities because they've been able to get a permanent opportunity somewhere else. So one of the things that we feel uh, it increases our ability to be to be um, staffed in a way that that will allow us to achieve our objectives is to focus on that retention piece and focus on um, um, giving people these opportunities. You know, having the positions aligned to uh, to to the work that is needed. Uh, that's very important. The second thing, and um, you know, not to get, advocate for our own uh, department over everyone else, but because every, everyone's ask was important. But you know, HRS has been uh, has fallen behind in its in its uh, being able to keep up with the work. I mean, it's not it's not a secret. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fallen behind for multiple reasons in terms of the number of positions that that they have, and then also. Uh, our own staffing challenges, our own turnover, right? And I believe that um, these things sort of self-perpetuate. Uh, if, if it is left where there's a perception that there is not enough staff to get the work done, the staff get more demoralized, perhaps more might leave. If there's an investment in HRS who, you know, to acknowledge, we are act in partnership with everyone else. We can't do our work without everyone else doing their oh, work. Okay, I okay. understand that. Okay. And, and I think we, we've heard that and, yeah. and we get it. So the question was, so do you feel that with what you are doing now, with what you have in place and all the revamping and the organizations, do you feel then that you're in a position to fill the 600 or 500 or whatever, do you feel like you're in a position then um, to, <laughs> do you feel like you're in a position then to do the work that needs to be done um, going forward? I mean, we have a lot of big plans. So do you feel that what you've done will, will get us to where we're trying to go? And that's a specific, we're trying to get somewhere and that's um, staffing 
at a level that we can function at better, like your own office. I mean, I, I want to be as you know candid as I can with you. I mm -hmm. you know yes we, is good. <laughs> we we have a we have a process that is always going to take a long time. We have a civil service process. It it exists for for really good reasons. It. Um, you know, allows people to have an opportunity to have really a permanent job where they can have a wonderful career it's a, and, and really move and grow. Um, I, I, I can just tell you that we have encouraging statistics. You know, it used to be that it took, you know, I think it was like 275 days on average to fill. Mm -hmm. um, the latest statistics that I have from DHR is it's, for, for PUC, is mm -hmm. we're down to like 175 days. Okay. Now, that may not sound like a lot. But, excellent. No. But... It's, we've, we've cut the time substantially, and that's, yes. that's looking at a data set of over 50 recruitment. So it's not, it's not a small thing. Um, so I know we're moving in the right direction in terms of um, uh, time to fill. I know we had a question about how many candidates are we getting, and, and uh, you know, I know we're getting hundreds a month. So I know on the measure of the number of candidates we're getting, I know we're improving there. Um, I know that with additional staffing, we have more capacity to get more recruitments done at a time. So again, I feel like we're trending in the right direction. I cannot promise you that we're going to be fully staffed, that we're, we're going to, you know. for any promises. I think what you've said so far is that it's trending down, that you've cut your days from two to 100. That's excellent. I mean, those are things that, that we want to hear, that you, there's more people in the pipeline than there have been previously. So all those things, to me, if I were to um, answer her question, I would say, yes, we are on our way to making this happen. So thank you. I think that we can confidently say we are on our way to getting it happen. I don't know what the timetable about getting it to happen will be. Well, nobody's asking. You don't have to give a timeline. Just that we are marching in the right direction. We are marching in the right yeah, direction. That's, you know, yeah, thank you. I like that interchange. Um, Commissioner Jami. So I also had that question on transactions, so I appreciate you clarifying. Uh, the only thing mm -hmm. is I wasn't 100% sure how those numbers added up to that number of transactions. So at some point when you have a chance to look at that table, it would be good to have a clarification because if I add up all those numbers you have, it adds up to a different number. And um, I assume every one of those have been a transaction because regardless of if you're promoting people or they're leaving or they're coming in, something is happening, right? So yes. just checking those numbers would be great. Um, then uh, another question I have for you, going back, uh, you sort of touched on this, um, which was on the job titles. Um, but I couldn't fully understand exactly what this strategy is there. And I do understand for certain jobs, those titles would be, uh, you know, staying as it is just because it's just, you know, that's exactly what you need. Um, but I wonder if there is a way we can sort of test the waters and figure out what there's, what there are other titles that are out there um, that are being used. Or um, another thing is, if, for example, I don't know, 50 people apply for a job, it would be interesting to see like what are the different skill set these people bring in. And I know you actually in your budget request you had a request for a data analyst who can actually work with your information and data. So it would be good to kind of have that, um, you know, do a little bit more digging. Um, 
And I still think it would be useful to, uh, for all of us to kind of have it, a sense of, at least for you guys, to know who, how many people apply, how many of them end up like being people who are qualified that you would like to follow on, how many, like, you know, this kind of information can be very useful. Um, I think 175 days is great. It's still a long time. So my question is, imagine if I apply for a job today. Um, there's one thing to, I will be in the process for 175 days um, just because I applied today. There's another thing like I get a call back in a week, then I have to take the test. You know what I mean? Like then it takes three months to put me in my position. I understand the processing, the, all that. But if it takes like four months to get back to someone, then that 175 days sounds very long and along the way you may lose some candidates. So I'm wondering what does that 175 days really entails? Um, so um, if you have any comments on any of these topics, and then I have one last comment for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, these are exactly, I mean, you're, 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 you're looking at exactly the right lens, which is from, a, from our consumer, you know, as a consumer, like what are, you, what are your expectations? Um, I did have the staff pull what Smart Recruiters has, which is the citywide thing, to sort of see, hey, what can a candidate see or where they are in the process? Mm -hmm. I always use the analogy of like, you know, my, my Postmates, right? I know, I know, I know. I see the little cars coming, and I know where, where it is. Um, right now, it's very rough. It doesn't really. It just says application received in process. It doesn't give those um, um, milestones that that you and I would be looking for. Um, but we are committed to working with the um, the citywide data team. They they have entrusted the PUC to kind of be a test case for some of these dashboards so that we provide them, you know, feedback on what it is that we're looking for. And I think that would be very helpful to engage um, to engage the candidates through because as a candidate, if I understood it typically takes such and such amount of time for this this step to happen. Uh, I would be more calm than if I didn't hear anything at all. And so um, I, I understand that as well. Um, I will say another, another sort of encouraging thing is, um, you know, we share our experiences with, uh, with the city, the city DHR and other departments. And, um, and then they are also training each of the departments. So the last training uh, that I went to was on the post-referral selection process. And it was really about sort of best practices. Once a list is already established, kind of getting that final interview done and kind of debunking some of the um, um, myths that people might have of, oh, you can only have a rater that's a certain level or this, that, and the other thing. This is what the rule says. When really it's, it's been interpreted uh, too strictly. Um, but then I was pleased when we took this training to find out that the things that they were recommending for other city departments were actually things that we were already doing at the PUC. So then that always gives me a level of comfort um, to know that some of our best practices um, can then be replicated throughout the city. And they do use us. They use us very much. We're, we're all participating in these sort of thought leader meetings and meetings of what we call the Big Seven, which is the seven largest department HR directors. So we're always constantly sharing our thinking and um, trust me, if there's something another department is doing better, or uh, I also reach out to our labor partners, if they have a suggestion that we haven't thought of, um, we, we are more than willing to, to look at them. That's important. Um, one last thing I want, and then on the job title thing, is that something you guys, you mentioned, you sort of um, went through it and yesterday as well. So um, 
Are there something specific you guys are doing in that area, or are you just looking into it? So I, I've, heard, I've heard it come up in a couple of contexts. One is, is, is sort of an, 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 an odd thing, is it, um, uh, we stopped using, for example, the word lineman. Um, I think it was a, uh, a way to make our terms more neutral, but people in the industry only know that, that word. And so it wasn't popping up when people are doing a search. So like that, that could be one thing that would, which could be an opportunity for improvement. Another one is, again, in speaking with our two new, new recruiters who come from private sector experience, they've said our titles are a little bit not the right words that people expect when they are coming from, you know, software engineer land. Yes. And so, you know, one of the things that we can always do in our, uh, in our engagement campaigns, in our, in our discussions with candidates, the way we post things, is, you, you know, use a working title or have it, have it aligned there. Because one of the things that does attract people um, to a job, it may not necessarily even be necessarily salary, but it could be the opportunity to have this title, which then can leverage them further down their career. So, you know, I mean, you've hit on a very important point. And again, I think, you, you know, our, our recruiters, again, with their private sector experience, have also uh, highlighted that because of our city um, classification uh, titles are sometimes a little bit more, um, you know, admin analyst or something like that. I mean, they're, they're more generic, and so um, sometimes making it a little bit more compelling can make all the difference in the world. And I tell you, working with all the youngsters at university, everybody is looking for a title. It's, it's so important for, for people uh, versus a lot of other things. <clears throat> um, so it is an important topic, uh, and I appreciate you looking into it. The last thing I want to mention is uh, I appreciate you trying to break the silos. You're creating three... I mean, whatever you do, we'll have silos. Um, but I'm wondering if there are, now that you're doing this, if you can create opportunities for some cross-pollination between these um, HR um, sort of or sub-orgs that you are creating to make sure that, uh, one, um, there's consistency across, uh, they know uh, they can sort of potentially share candidates occasionally. Another thing is, Maybe as we do more um, cross-enterprise um, collaboration, uh, if we want to hire someone that is half-time in water enterprise and half-time in the energy enterprise, I wonder how that something like that can be crafted, and even if there is a process for that. So just thinking ahead, like, how do you create cross-silo um, cross collaboration that they're not con you know they're not all cut off but actually they still have some way of collab uh, talking to each other uh, in a process wise and functionality wise so um, that's that was my last comment I don't know if you have any thoughts on that but that's uh, yeah we, we do spend a lot of time working behind the scenes on creating these uh, SOPs these standard operating procedures I neglected to mention it just because it's not like the headline-grabbing, exciting work, but it's the important work. Mm -hmm. It's the important work behind the scenes to make sure that there is consistency, and I do like your out-of-the-box thinking, so I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Commissioner Rivera. Uh, good afternoon, Ms. Macy. Uh, thank you so much for a great presentation. Um, you've actually inspired me with a lot of hope for the future for PUC. I really like a lot of the ideas. Um, they're, you know, out of the box, uh, efficient, and um, I just wanted to make sure that um, we're uh, including the community when we reach out, you know, looking for candidates. You know, there, we have 
to me, it's like um, San Francisco is still the center, the goal mine. You know, our, our people are the heart of our, um, of our department. And so uh, re making sure that we're reaching out to the community, finding people that are, uh, you know, within the city that um, I believe uh, will be great contributors. And it was great to hear about the um, social media recruiters. I mean, I, you know, when I'm trying to get a hold of my kids, I have to send them an Instagram chat for them to actually talk back to me. So it, it's just, you know, society's changing, things are changing. I love that, I think that's great. And I look forward to uh, more young people uh, being involved and, um, becoming part of uh, the SFPUC. So thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Stacy. Uh, thank you for the update. Um, I, <clears throat> as I was looking at your slides and the um, vacancy rates, uh, the linear graph, and then you have a more of a bar graph, it, I don't know if you have this information at your fingertips, but it, the, the graphs and the information seems to start during COVID, you know, quarter four of fiscal year 2021. Have our vacancy rates, were they high bef before COVID or is this really uh, a recent phenomenon that the, the vacancy rates are this high? Um, so I'm told that uh, HRS, you know, was smaller back then and, and, and didn't necessarily all, ever really have the resources to, to fully statistics. be caught up. Uh -huh. um, but I do believe that, we, you know, our statistics are much more reliable in recent years just because of our enhanced uh, focus on data. So I, I don't know that I'm able to go further back to okay. just have an apples to apples comparison. Yeah. Um, but just anecdotally, that's what I'm told. Okay, thank you. And um, one of the issues that we talked about um, at an earlier meeting when you made a presentation to us was that the PUC was going to really look hard at the positions and see if all of the job um, requirements and the job experience were really necessary for those positions. Have you reevaluated very many positions that, you know, maybe you don't need a college degree or maybe you don't need to have X number of years experience in order to make those jobs more accessible and more reachable. Have, have you engaged in that? Uh, uh, some of this classification work is something that um, kind of has fallen a little bit to the back burner. Um, and that's why our hope is with the uh, HR modernization team, they will be able to focus specifically on those things mm -hmm. without also having to do an exam workload as well. So I think those points are very well taken. Um, and I think uh, points were also well taken about making sure that our exams or our assessment process um, isn't an undue burden on candidates and is actually looking for things that we actually do need for people to get the job done. And um, I'm gonna go back to the job titles, but I have a question, a couple of questions as it relates to civil service. Are these job titles normally created by civil service? I know there are sort of citywide classifications, or does the PUC have the ability to change job titles on some of its unique positions? So we have classifications that are part of the whole classification plan that's through DHR, but many of them are generic, manager for whatever, something like that. And so that, that's like the official job class, 
but they don't go by that. People say, I'm the manager of whatever. And so, and so that's where we have the more flexibility, um, your specific working title versus your necessarily your official class code. I see. So when you post the jobs, you can be a little more flexible in how you post them to make them more descriptive or more uh, maybe updated. Is yes. That, okay. And again, this may be a civil service related question. When uh, Commissioner Ajami was asking about multiple applicants for a position, I thought, wow, how great if we had that many. Do you have the ability um, to sort of divert candidates if they weren't um, selected for the position that they applied for? Could you say, you know, position A didn't work out, but why don't you check out positions B, C, and D? Are, are, you, are you allowed to sort of have that contact with applicants and, and redirect them to other positions that might work for them? I mean, I think we are, we, you know, we have these, uh, I think they're called community of interests. So um, uh, people can express interest in certain types of jobs and then they will receive the notifications and so forth. Oh, I so see. I don't see why we couldn't engage with the candidates who might have um, applied for one job. Uh, they might express interest at a number of different jobs. And so it doesn't preclude them for applying for as many different jobs as they want right. to. But if they haven't, you would, you would be able to um, interact with them in a sort of I personal think so, way but or? I would have to check. Okay. I see some nods behind you, but. Hopefully they're uh, affirmative yes. nods. <laughs> okay. I can't see, okay. <laughs> okay, uh, and then um, you mentioned the dashboard so that people could sort of track their application process. Do you have uh, personal interactions? Is there somebody they can ask in the HR division about their status if it's not clear online for them? They can ask the analyst. Yeah. So we, well, there's typically an analyst who's the point of contact for a particular recruitment, and they can they can go to them for any troubleshooting or questions they have about the process. That's great. I think that personal contact, if they can't figure out online, makes a big difference for uh, makes a big difference for somebody who's waiting to hear, or in the process. Okay. I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Great, thank you. And again, thank you for the update. I do have one question. When is, um, is this a quarterly report um, traditionally or is there another one scheduled? Um, I don't know if uh, the general manager or anybody knows that. Um, we schedule them on a regular basis. And regular means every month, every No, 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 months? no, not every month. It, it, was, it was pretty much going every quarter or every third, or, yeah. Every three or four months. The reason I ask that is because, you know, the general chatter around town right now has to do with freezing jobs. Are we going to freeze permanent positions? Are we going to move them? It would be nice to have in context with all the other stuff going on during bargaining, which takes place with city employees until, um, you know, into the beginning of the summer. Um, and with the, with the entire budget process, you know, how that might, you know, be affecting what happens. And so an update as to where we are might be just informative Yeah, we, of we us. do that on a regular basis. So we do. Okay, yeah. that's my context for the question. Thank you. Um, one more. Uh, Commissioner Jami has another question. Uh, can the city freeze our employment process since we, ha we pay our own um, employees? Uh, um, 
I have another question for you. If somebody, um, I asked this yesterday too, and I, uh, this comment by uh, Commissioner Stacy sort of triggered um, this question again in my head. So if I apply for a job and I take the civil service um, test and I don't end up getting the job and then I figure out there's this other job that I can apply for or I am very good fit for it, do I need to take the test again? Is the test sort of adjusted for the um, position or is it like, I'm just trying to figure out how, for example, if somebody goes through the process, they don't necessarily really fit into job A, but job B can be a great job for them. Do they, like, can we expedite that process? Uh, we can look at it. I mean, sometimes there's an application review and they may be able to use, go ahead, Melissa. <laughs> Commissioners, uh, Melissa White, Deputy People Officer. So in general, the tests are tailored toward the position. There are some DHR test batteries that you can apply your, your score to other positions. Like if there's another, if there are manager positions, you can apply that um, management test battery score to another um, another management position if they're using the same. same so you have an applica uh, applicant portal that shows all this information and then if the applicant is applying for another job that's similar to the previous one, they can potentially use that. Is that, am I imagining this right? So there's not uh, exactly a portal for this. It would be um, indicated on the job announcement what test battery, if they are using a test battery um, that's used for several different management positions. Okay, and okay. if I applied for that job a year ago and then now I'm applying for another one a year later and I can't remember what test battery I had. Like, I'm just trying to like, sorry, because I have yeah. not done this for a season. I'm like, I, I can't really in my head imagine what the process is. And I, if I, Can we I do some of sure. this offline? Um, would you please answer that question? Thank you. Yes, we can. Um, they are, their scores are banked. If, it, if an announcement says it's using that same test battery, um, you can assume that they'll be applying your, your previous score that you, when you took the test previously. Okay, so I have an applicant portal that reminds me that this is the test that I took, and if it sort of it'll, it. It's not a portal. It'll say on the announcement, um, it'll say management test battery. And then the analyst will say, will say you've taken, we'll let them know once it's time to score and, or take the exam that you have a previous score banked. And oh, so can they can it. see it. So the yes. analyst can see that information. Right. It's DHR actually who can see it. Okay. So DHR mm -hmm. does track these things. Like, yes. these, okay, that's important. But is there like... Okay, that's good. As long as there is a process that you can connect all these pieces, I think that's important. And then how much time does that cut if somebody has done that before? Um, it depends because other candidates still have to take the test who haven't taken previously, so they still have to wait until those candidates complete that exam process. Oh, okay. If there are multiple people who apply for that position. Right. Okay, interesting. Thank okay. you. I, I, oh. Are we going to keep asking individual questions? I about? might, may, yes. I think that's a part of what we're doing. We have an opportunity here. It doesn't happen every month. It's a, and so I'd like to ask. You would question. like to ask another question? Yes. Commissioner Maxwell, please Thank ask you. your question. 
You know, you never stop old people in the middle of a sentence, because now I can't remember what I was going to say. But I got it. Um, do you, so, oh, God. Um, uh, well, I guess I did lose it. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Last comment, um, and I will entertain a quick pause if, if necessary, but if not, thank you um, so much for, for your piece. And I do encourage, um, as I have, you know, commissioners, if there are like, hey, by the way, if X, Y, and Z happens, um, I can find it out, I know, by calling any of you guys. So that being said, thank you again. Now let's open this up to public comment uh, for item number five. Donna? What comment on 5A? So commissioners, I want you to pay very careful attention to what I'm saying. We have now in the Bayview, we've taken it upon ourselves to have the San Francisco Hyperlocal Building Trades Contractors Collective. We have our president here, Demetrius Williams, and our secretary here, LaSonia Mansfield. Now, let me give you some history about the stationary engineers. That was tied, it was tied to the treatment plant, okay? And I remember a time where they stopped hiring, and then Susan Leal was the general manager. Espinola, Jackson, and myself fought for these FTEs, and now suddenly the human resource services, or whatever they call themselves, looks at it as like, you know, uh, you need to be a PhD to, be, to, to handle that situation. And that's ridiculous. That is the reason why in 2016, I had this vision of the contracting center so that we could anticipate this, so that skills could be provided and training could be provided. And some of you commissioners are astute because y'all spoke about it. But most of the commissioners think like, you know, uh, oh, you can just do this, you know. Now, we have 44 million square, square feet of commercial space vacant, and we have hundreds of those engineers this. We need our community to get them. We need our community to get them. And we need whoever's in charge to talk to me so that I can chronologically give them the history including the recruiters or whoever you all bring here, uh, because this nonsense has to stop. Thank you. Public comment on item five. Seeing none, let's go. Oh, actually, um, yes. yes. No, no. General manager. Oh, go ahead. Um, item B, are there any announcements? I'm sure, yeah. One more public oh, comment. Oh, I'm sorry. I, Excuse okay. me, sir. Excuse That's me, okay. sir. I thought it was over. Anyway, please. Uh, yeah, so, uh, hi, I'm Demetrius Williams. I'm uh, the president-elect uh, for the San Francisco Hyperlocal Buildings Trades Contractors Collective. Uh, we are um, trying to make sure that the community is involved in the stationary engineer opportunities. And we got about 25 youths that's ready to take these places and get involved with uh, stationary engineer opportunities. And, you know, what we 
basically try to do is, uh, you know, we're contractors, but uh, the the opportunities that that uh, stationary engineer jobs does is give give us the opportunity to find people that's in our community, hook them up, uh, get them involved with um, getting involved with these stationary engineer opportunities. So uh, the San Francisco Hyperlocal Building Trades Contractors Collective, collectively we got plumbers, uh, plastering, drywall, uh, framers, um, electricals, and we come together underneath one collective to make sure that we get as many as youth involved instead of being outside doing other stuff that they would be doing, but get them involved in these trades. Because you can have a record, you can have, you can go to prison, and you can still get into building trades. So we give them that hope, giving them process. So thank you again for uh, listening to us. Great. No, thank you for your work. Are there any more? Um Folks, to uh, for general com for public comment on item five. Okay, um, let's go to item B. Are there any announcements? Yes, uh, thank you, Mr. President. Um, I'm saddened to announce uh, the passing of Hannah Vu, who passed away on December 30th after complications from an accident that happened last year. Hannah worked under Jennifer Hopkins on the um, Information Technology Services team in our Business Services Bureau. Hannah was a principal engineer and would have reached her 10-year anniversary with the PUC this coming March. Hannah was a respected colleague and dear friend to many here at the PUC, and we'd like to honor her memory at this commission meeting today by extending our deepest gratitude for Hannah and her work here and by giving her deepest sympathies, giving our deepest sympathies to her daughter and family, and we're very sorry for your loss. So sorry to report that. Yes. Th thank you for that update. Um, can we um, open this up? Is there any public comment on, on this announcement? Do you have any public comment on 5B? I see none. Okay, seeing uh -huh. none. Um, Excuse me, I have a question. Yes. Um, can we maybe have a 30-second uh, pause or something to respect? To, in Absolutely, the very, very good idea. So let's Thank do you. that. Um, Commissioner, would you like to do that right now? Yes, please. Respect? Let's, let us have a moment of silence. Yep for our departed uh, colleague. Thank you. Okay, item six um, has been pulled. Uh, Bosca was, is not gonna be able to make it today for that report. We will look forward to that later. Um, so the next item, could you please call it, please? Next item is item seven, your consent calendar. Okay, so are there any um, questions or comments or any items want to be pulled from the consent calendar, commissioners? Seeing none, um, let us open up the consent calendar. Item, I Commissioner Jami. I have my Ajami? hands up. I'm Thank sorry. you. Commissioner Jami. Um, can, uh, is there someone for 7A who can speak to that item, please? This is the engineering series. Uh, great, thank you. Please come to the microphone. 
President, good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you. So, um, you know, I, I went through, um, it's such a great thing to have this digital tool because now you can sort of go for years back and see what items we have looked at. So I did go through because I remember this item vividly. It's like we had this conversation. It was a, um, it was a very um, eye-opening um, sort of experience to me to kind of uh, look and see how we went through this design and not, knowing, not having the right information. One thing I couldn't find was I remember we already did some, um, we put a pause, we tried to figure out the alternative, then we had, um, uh, we had a con contractor to come in and do the work. So I'm like, I feel I'm missing something, somewhere in between, some other item happened, and I couldn't find it in my list of items, that um, we did either extend the time or increase the contract amount initially one more time? No, not, not in this Pro 164 contract. Okay, so, but this is the one that we figured because of Caltran Foundation, we can't. No, that's a different. Oh, I apologize, I thought that's the one. Okay. So whoever so is under that one. Hold on, let me find So we have it. no questions on, on I on do not a, have I any guess? questions, 7A, but thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Okay, are there any other um, questions? Yes, give me on one second, please. I, I'm going to uh, pull that up. Do you have a question on either A through I, Commissioner Ajami? Yes, I do. Okay. Okay. So the item I'm looking for is, okay, this is not good. Okay, here it is. I think it's 7A, no? Isn't this 7A? Am I imagining this? 7A. Right, 7A. Steve, Steve Robinson, Assistant yes. General Manager of Infrastructure. Um, this is the Laura Lemony contract for professional services. Caltrans are involved, so Caltrans is mentioned within the agenda item, um, but for very different reasons that I'm surmising. Perhaps you're referring back to the Folsom project where we surface a, a concern with the, yes. the peers of the freeway. But didn't we also Caltrans. do a redesign on this one because of something else? The project is at about 65% design and has been evolving as it should during its design project process. During planning, it evolved a little bit too. We looked at alternatives. It's very much our normal process. But yes, it's, it's a similar challenge and a similar challenging project because it's a collection system project that involves a tunnel within a dense urban environment. So they're, they're similar okay. challenges. So the cleanup is causing us to add that $2 million because of the, um, because of the ad additional requirements that we are getting from regional board. For the, the cleanup, cleanup and abatement order yeah. with the regional board, um, there were no additional requirements for the board. Okay, so then can you remind me what that extra two million dollar needs to go to? That's where I'll let the project team explain that. Yeah, more than happy to. Um, yeah, this is for uh, uh, for the additional shaft tunneling shaft relocation, and that result in the tunnel realignment. And this is caused by input from Caltrans telling us that uh, it's very difficult to shut off a freeway off-ramp. Um, uh, and, this, and this is when we approach them through design where we have good details. We have a um, preliminary schedule um, showing them what the work will actually look like during detailed design. Um, and we decided to mitigate that by 
shifting a shaft location, redesigning the upstream um, at a different site, which is about 800 feet uh, so did westward. You talk to them at the beginning, and they were supposed to help us to close the highway and or the overpass. Yeah. So okay. in planning, we definitely—I mean, it wasn't me, but my project manager Sam was there. But we even informed them of our project and planning. We have different alternative, grand scheme. We're looking at big picture. And a lot of it has a lot of impact to um, the freeway uh, area just sure. because that um, location is at the 281-01 um, interchange. Mm -hmm. So this alternative that was selected, moved into design, has the least amount of impact to transportation agencies, SFPUC, M sorry, SFMTA, and Caltrans. Um, but you know, once we got dive into more details, that's when we know you know what are the true impacts, what's the exact requests, um, and this is when we approach, during detailed design, we approach Caltrans and say, this is more specifically, here's the impacts, um, and this is what we need, and such as uh, freeway off-ramp closure for extended period of time. Okay, so we did not anticipate this level of closure when we did the initial design, is that yeah. what you're telling me? Um, we, we do anticipate some amount of closure, but not to this extent, yeah. Okay, and Caltrans was involved from the beginning? Like, yes, yes, yes. We, and, we've involved. And they didn't also anticipate that at the beginning? Do you want to take that one? Hi, project manager. Um, they, we mentioned that there will be, um, for this option, there will be a possibility of off-ramp closure. And during planning phase, Caltrans indicate that they will provide more detailed feedback once we have further developed the plans. So once we, when we evolve into the design phase, that's when we have more detailed drawings that we can have um, more in-depth conversation with Caltrans. And that's when they inform us that to close the off-ramp for that will um, be extremely challenging. And um, so the team try to involve with them um, as early as we can once we get a little bit more details. And so once we get that feedback, we have to re realign the tunnel design. I mean, um, this, is, this is really uh, honestly um, disappointing. And not because you have done anything, but because this is the second time, at least in the time I've been here, that I hear that the communication with Caltron has not been as productive as we have hoped for, and it cost us money to redirect our design or work in many ways. So I'm not 100% sure, is there any way we can improve this communication somehow to avoid these kind of um, challenges? Because, I mean, they could have provided, I mean, this is costing us an extra mil $2 million because they were not willing to provide feedback early on on the design. Right? They didn't provide very specific feedback on right. during planning phase because yeah. it's very um, conceptual. We have um, um, captured lesson learned from other projects. So for this one, we have engaged with Caltrans very early on during alternative analysis. Right. And that's when we established agreement with them. And they have been actively reviewing our drawings um, throughout the design phase right now. So we're hoping that with the increased engagement with them throughout the design, we can continue to mitigate some of these risks during construction. So is there any way, um, and maybe, maybe Mr. Robinson, you know the answer to this. I wonder when the, you have projects that Caltrans is involved. Um, I don't know, maybe we can 
um, hire someone from Caltran for 25% to just focus? I mean, I, would, I think at the end that would cost us a lot less than all this redesign we keep going through. Um, I don't know if there is a way we can do something to avoid these kind of things. It's true that these two large collection system flooding resilience projects have both hit hurdles with our relationship with Caltrans and understanding their infrastructure because we're doing big movements within the city here about how we work with our stormwater. Um, I, I would describe some of which we've heard today as our normal process as a project develops. When you initiate very early at the conceptual stage and planning, you, you're looking at the need and then move into identifying alternatives. Any one of those alternatives could go different directions. So as the team learned from the Folsom project to engage with Caltrans early, mm -hmm. we know that Caltrans can only give as much input as they can at that point because we don't yet know what the agreed solution is. So as it moved through planning phase and then into more detailed design, it was appropriate for them to come back to us and say, give us more detail now that you know more. So we could argue that perhaps they could have weighed in more earlier with scenarios, but some of this is iterative, some of it is normal, but yes, yeah, there's definitely some concerns here about how we communicate with Caltrans. Um, so we want to think about that some more and decide how we look forward. To answer your question, though, if we've got other projects, these, these are the two largest ones that cross freeways and um, that have the largest kind of interaction with Caltrans that we have. Um, so we, we want to be looking forward to see if we have other projects of that nature, but these are the two largest. Okay. Just, you know, it might be some best management practices we can put in place, not just for Caltrans, for any other agency we sort of interact with. How, how can you be, we can minimize these kind of, I mean, I understand every project can have hurdles, but it's a little bit of like 50% hurdle or 20%. I mean, this is not, this is not a small increase for this project. So, um, so somehow we need to come up with some mismanagement practices that can help us to avoid these kind of changes. Thank you. Yeah, and I would also acknowledge too, these are, this is a professional service contract to help us through planning and design. So that's that iterative process as we plan out and then design a project. We could uh, procure a contract that is much larger in dollar value to allow us to navigate these processes, but our contract capacity and the risk we'd be holding with that would be significantly larger. So at the inception of a project, when we imagine what the contract should look like, we pick what we believe is the most viable, mm -hmm. realistic solution, and we anchor the contract language and the scope around that, which includes evaluating alternatives. Um, in cases like this, then, it means we do an amendment to that contract to take on what is additional scope in response to how the project has developed. may not necessarily be something that was not foreseen or a concern or something that has gone wrong, perhaps, but there's definitely feedback here for us to think about and how we engage with Caltrans and get early warning so we've got a better perspective of it. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Are there any other questions on anything from A through I from the commissioners? Seeing none, let's open the consent calendar to the public. Donna? Any members to provide comment on consent calendar, the consent calendar, item 7? Seeing none? Seeing none, um, can we have a motion and a second to, uh, to accept the uh, consent calendar, please? So moved. Second. Roll call, please. There's a motion and a second. President Paulson? Aye. Vice President Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Jami? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes? Consent calendar passes. Could you read item eight, please? Item eight, approved contract number CS1413, comprehensive management, 
of watersheds within Yosemite National Park supplying the San Francisco Regional Water System Memorandum of Agreement with the United States Department of the Interior, National Park Service, Yosemite National Park, in the amount not to exceed 40958727 with the duration of four years subject to Board of Supervisors approval under Charter Section 9.118. Good afternoon, President Paulson and Commissioners. I'm Margaret Hannaford. I'm the manager of Hetch Hetchy Water Division up in Moccasin, California. We're part of the water enterprise. I'm here today to request approval of Hetch Hetchy Water's Memorandum of Agreement between the PUC and the Yosemite National Park for the comprehensive management of watersheds within Yosemite National Park, supplying the San Francisco Regional Water System. The PUC and the National Park Service have entered into service agreements since 1997 and share in the common goal of protecting water quality, improving and maintaining environmental resources, and providing security for essential facilities within Yosemite National Park. One way to achieve this goal is by working together on similar projects of interest. This agreement serves as an important mechanism for the Source Water Protection Program. Under the Federal and State Water Drinking Acts, we are required to demonstrate that a watershed control program exists within the, um, with the uh, landowner, in this case that's the Park Service, to prevent microbiological contamination of the upper Tuolumne River watershed within Yosemite. The National Park Service has sole authority to establish regulations regarding visitor use within the park under the National Park Service Organic Act. The Park Service's existing regulations and the fact that much of the watershed is within uh, the northern Yosemite wilderness provide the required control that enables the Hetch Hetchy water supply to maintain its filtration avoidance designation. Another goal of the agreement is to meet environmental stewardship objectives shared by both the city and the Park Service. In addition to the Source Water Protection Program, security of the SFPUC facilities and assets within Yosemite National Park are essential. The federal government has exclusive authority for law enforcement within Yosemite boundaries and therefore the National Park Service is charged with the duties of law, law enforcement while the SFPUC is responsible for maintaining all physical and electronic security components in around the Hetch Hetchy area. The security program is confidential and relates to homeland security. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you, Ms. Hannaford. Um, and uh, I, along with other um, supervisors, have been up in your neck of the woods uh, a couple times and haven't had the opportunity to run into you, only see you when you wander down here to give your presentations about what's going on up in the hinterlands, in the wonderful hinterlands. So anyway, thank you for that uh, presentation. Um, um, are there any other and uh, questions? Commissioner uh, Maxwell. Yes, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, what did we do before 1997? Well, I wasn't here, but we did still have <laughs> an agreement with them. Um, but it wasn't as defined as well in our goals and our objectives mm -hmm. that we wanted to do together. But we have always had a long relationship. Mm -hmm. What I like about this, it lays out what expectations are. Yeah. And so. And who, who makes sure that those expectations are met? Do we so, have? Mm -hmm. 
as part of the agreement, we do meet with the park quarterly, review um, their, uh, one of the things we review the projects they're working on that we have helped fund, mm -hmm. that we, and usually where there's a partnership in this, mm -hmm. where we may be um, reviewing some of the, the information that they're providing us, but we do look at their work quarterly and um, make sure one of the things that was in the last agreement was accountability of spending. Mm -hmm. And if there were funds left, how those funds are gonna be managed. So um, we, we work together a lot on making sure that our objectives are being met and with that we agree to, to pay for and fund. And on that funding and on those, those agreements, do we have some, um, uh, do we do look at those things in-house as well? Yes. Um, they actually submit a proposal to us of different things that, we, that are of interest to us, and then we work together on what those projects are, how we want to participate, um, and how we want to fund it. So in participation, do we have workers that work alongside them sometimes? And um, Not always. I would say that on our upper Tuolumne uh, Reservoir Environmental uh, releases that we have worked on, we were working side by mm -hmm. side on a lot of it. If we're working in the dam on a communication project, we're working side by mm -hmm. side. It just really varies. So do they have contractors, <coughs> I assume, that do a lot of their work or do they have staff? I think a lot of theirs for the projects that we participate in, I think it's mostly staff. Oh, okay. Unless we're paying for like a bathroom up in the Tuolumne Meadows, that, that would be a contractor that builds it, but mm -hmm. their staff designs it. So when you say um, most of the work is their staff, like give me an example of, of what that might be. So um, we have, there's some source water protection and we do monitoring of the water. We want to know that information. We don't do, Hetchy doesn't do it ourselves or the PUC doesn't do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. We pay actually people to go out there, collect it, do reports, the, uh, with the Park Service. I see, I see. Okay, thank you. Okay. Commissioner Stacy. Mr. Ritchie wants to uh, weigh in. Is that okay, Margaret? S since I am a little, <laughs> since I am a little older, I can speak to the pre-1997 uh, issue uh, that uh, the uh, requirements for filtering water came about through the Safe Drinking Water Act, uh, but there was a provision added later that allowed for an exemption from the filtration requirements. Uh, and so we were actually able to achieve that status in 1996, I believe it was. It was just right around that time. So that was one of the points where it became important to have a formal agreement with the landowner, as Margaret said, we had clearly worked with them a lot before then, but that was when it was an absolute necessity of having a formal agreement. Thank you. I'll turn it back to Margaret now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Commissioner Stacy. Thank you, nice to see you. Um, I, I, every time I go up to Hetch Hetchy, I see a very much strong presence from both PUC uh, water staff as well as park rangers and National Park Service and I it, it sounds as though it's a very um, cooperative and collaborative relationship I and you noted before that you will often have conversations with uh, the Park Service and figure out you know how to best execute the work I recall last year we the Commission authorized the general manager to undertake some emergency repairs mm -hmm. along some part of the road that had been um, damaged as a result of the rains and the flooding. 
I assume that's a, another part of your sort of ongoing collaboration with the Park Service. If there's something the PUC can do more quickly and more effectively, that you work that out with the Park Service as well. So um, when it comes to the roads, the PUC is responsible for maintaining and um, the uh, capital improvements on those roads. A good example um, that Spreck brought up earlier, um, we did um, the boat ramp that goes into O'Shaughnessy. That's one that we really partnered with on, you know, do we you know, have the park work on it or do we do it through our uh, own R&R forces, our, our uh, forces at Hetchy? And so we work together with it. Of course, they're our partner on the environmental portion of whatever we're doing, but it was decided best that Hetchy Crews actually do that work. But it is an ongoing conversation with different things. I note in the staff report that <clears throat> it said that we are required to reimburse the National Park Service for the cost of maintaining the roads and trails. So to the extent the Park Service does the work, uh, the PUC pays them. For that work, but there for, will for be, the trails. Yeah, that is actually oh, just program. the trails. So yeah, we um, the for the roads. It's um, actually historically been um, okay. the PUC. Okay, after a lawsuit. <laughs> oh, <okay>. Thank you, <laughs> um, Commissioner Jami. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It was it's great to see you here. Uh, question. Any data gathering happens as part of this process? And if it is, who has that? Where does it go? So um, we do exchange data. So we meet quarterly. We get a report, um, usually verbally, on what they've been working on. But we also have presentations. And we can provide you information. What about on the sort of environmental things? Like, um, I don't know, like, just on the environmental stewardship work that they do, do they count things, measure things, like uh, yeah. any of that a, kind of a, data? A good example would be our sanitary survey that we're required okay. to produce, and that is definitely a partnership between the Park okay. Service and the PUC. And um, a copy of that report would show you different things that we're working on together and how we put together, work together, to put out that report. Okay, so the data is shared among us. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh -huh. Great, thank you. Any other uh, questions? Again, thank you for the update and uh, walking us through this uh, partnership. Um, let's, let us open uh, this uh, item eight to public comment. Item eight, uh, we have any members of the public present to provide comment? Mr. Rosecrans. Hi, uh, Spreck Rosecrans, Restore Achechi. Uh, commissioners, uh, we Restore Chachi appreciates the partnership you have with the National Park Service. Um, and we also appreciate that the operative language in the document has changed in some important ways. Um, but it still, we believe, does a poor job of describing the provisions of the Raker Act that speak to uh, the visitor's ability to explore the park and the water quality protections that are in the Raker Act and what is not in the Raker Act. As you know, there's very specific water quality provisions. Uh, not much applies more than a mile outside the reservoir. And the Park Service also is precluded from any involvement in filtration avoidance. Uh, at best, the document is confusing. We think it discriminates against park visitors. 
and at worst, it may in fact be illegal. So we're asking you not to approve it, um, to rewrite some of these sections, and we'll be asking the Park Service not to sign it as well. Thanks very much. Are there any, is there any other public comment on item eight? If not, I would uh, re um, request a motion and second to approve item eight. Is there a motion? Excuse me, move to approve. Um, I have a question before we um, do that. There's a motion, and on the motion, you um, can speak on the motion. Yes. Um, this language is worked, we worked with the Park Service to put it together, right? I just want to, okay. Okay, so they are fully in agreement with this language and what we have here. That is correct, and, and we, we are in, in compliance. So, okay. yeah. thank you. Anything else on the motion? Yes. Um, so, so this has gone through public process? It's an agreement. It is a process that we worked on with the Park Service. So it hasn't had a public um, airing? No. On the, on the motion, yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay, there is a motion. Do I hear a second? Second. Okay, um, there's been a motion and a second. Can we have a roll call, please? President Paulson? Aye. Commissioner, uh, Vice President Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Maximo? Aye. Commissioner Jamie? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Item eight passes. Uh, can I have a follow-up question? I know this item is passed, but since we have you here, um, so, so um, this is obviously a very loosely defined language based on the agreements we have. So if there's an input into the process, that can happen. Mm -hmm. um, even since we, I mean, since we have this agreement, right? Like public can engage with the public park service and us to do things in a different way if needed. I think we could to have that discussion. Okay. My point is this is a this is an MOU, right? Mm -hmm. MOUs are they're not like written on stone. They can be um, they can be more flexible, right? based on my understanding of an MOU. Yeah, again, Steve Ritchie. Uh, <clears throat> we follow the Park Service's lead on okay. development of the document. Uh, they're the ones who are responsible for, for public input on it, uh, so we follow their processes. And so we would refer uh, Mr. Rosecrans to the uh, Park Service on this. Okay, so they are the ones who, since they are the ones who uh, apply or uh, deploy the projects or work, they are the ones who engage yeah. with the public. And it's done under federal law. Okay. Thank you. But, no, you can't. Thank you. Um, that being said, um, let us go to item nine. Item nine? Public, public comment is over. Yeah, sorry. Public comment is over. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank, thank you. Item public comment is over. Item nine, please, could you read? 
Item 9, improve and authorize the general manager to, speak to seek approval from the Board of Supervisors to execute the power sales contracts with anticipated revenue in excess of $1 million or more, subject to an, to an annual revenue limit of $20 million per year through July 1, 2025. Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Julia Ogin, and I am the Director of Origination and Power Supply for the Power Enterprise. My team is responsible for managing the Hetch Hetchy Power and the Clean Power SF Energy Portfolio. I am here today to seek your approval to increase the annual revenue limit on the Power Sales Contracting Authority conditionally delegated to the General Manager in Commission Resolution Number 22-0109 and Administrative Code Chapter 2143. Specifically, we are asking you to approve and authorize the general manager to request Board of Supervisor approval to increase the annual revenue cap for power sales contracts that exceeds $1 million in total value from, one ten, from $10 million per year to $20 million per year. Increasing this annual revenue limit will help staff obtain the best possible value for excess power in our portfolios for the benefit of our ratepayers. As you know, both of our power enterprise programs engage in power procurement efforts through competitive bidding process as necessary to manage the program's power portfolios consistent with best utility practice. <clears throat> as the power enterprise manages fluctuations in supply and demand and navigates to consistently changing regulatory requirements of multiple agencies, it both buys and sells electricity products that exceeds its power's needs. Sales of such excess electricity products allows for San Francisco PUC to maximize the value of the assets entrusted to us by our ratepayers. Wholesale prices for electricity products have been significantly higher than expected since the Commission adopted resolution number 22-0109 and the Board of Supervisors and Mayor established the Chapter 2143 of the Administrative Code. Such increases reflect several factors, including global energy shortages caused by trade disruption and armed conflict. In addition, new California, new California energy facilities have not come online as expected due to supply chain disruptions and delays to project permitting and grid interconnection. As a result, our power portfolios are experiencing significant price increases for all energy products, creating both higher cost and higher revenues when Hetch Hetchy Power or Clean Power SF solicits offers to purchase power supplies resources. This fiscal year, our power sales, con sales of contracts exceeding $1 million have now utilized most of its $10 million cap you and the Board, Super, Board of Supervisors had it authorized. Staff anticipates this high price market environment will continue for the next two to five years. Given these market conditions and the need to move quickly in our marketplace to ensure that our ratepayers get the best value for the assets that we manage, we ask that you approve an increase of the power sales revenue limits for contracts exceeding $1 million in revenue from $10 million per year to $20 million per year and to authorize the general manager to seek board of supervisor approval. That concludes my prepared remarks. Thank you for your consideration of this item, and I'm happy to take any questions you may have. 
Well, thank you um, for laying that out for us. And I assume this is about flexibility. And I know that we have visited this before, and we've heard about the about the um, the volatility of the of the market for power. Is this something that is sunsetted and now we're just renewing it with different language in some sense? Um, no, this is actually part of our um, 2143 ordinance where we also had like, um, we had a caps on our expenditure side and also on our revenue side. And so we're just asking for an increase of 10 million to 20 million. I got it. Okay, I understand. Thank you, Commissioner Maxwell. Thank you. So how did you come to $20 million? What yeah. was the process? So we're, this, this um, uh, cap is per fiscal year. And so just based on what we were looking at, what our needs would be just to f finish out this fiscal year and the next fiscal year, we did like a forward forecasting view of what we, what we see in the market that we think that we will need to be selling. And based on that forecast, we totaled about $20 million. Hmm. We figured that will cover it. And when you say, um, what were what were the administrative and environmental code waivers, and what 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 was that? I'm so you know, sorry. We, we had environmental code waivers, and you had uh, administrative code wa waivers, and the first ten million dollars. You had waivers. The waivers for like labor or well, it said administration. And environmental, oh no, administration, yeah, and environmental code waivers. So I wanted to know what the code waivers were and, uh, and the administrative waivers, and if it has anything to do with um, our, our, our policies, you know, as a PUC in regards to uh, community benefits and how mm -hmm. we hire, wanted to make sure. Understood. Mm -hmm. um, I do not have those with me right here, but I'm happy to get back with you on all of the waivers well, that we have, unless you have them. Or is there somebody that looks like <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I didn't realize somebody had them. Okay. Somebody eager to answer? Um, I'm happy to jump in. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Hello, commissioners. Uh, Michael Himes. I'm the uh, deputy AGM in power, responsible for power resources. Um, I'm gonna echo her a second here because um, I don't have the list uh, with me at the moment. But the, um, the waivers uh, were brought uh, through this commission, uh, excuse me, the, the specific administrative code sections, environmental code sections were brought through the commission and to the Board of Supervisors, I believe in 2022. Um, and uh, the um, waivers are determined on sort of a per contract basis. Um, I think in this case with sales, um, well, maybe if I could generalize a little bit, the waivers are specific to, th to terms that don't typically um, appear in the power industry um, or may not apply to the kind of commodities that we're, um, we're transacting with. So power, electricity, energy, uh, where for example, um, shoot, I wish I had a specific example handy. Um, you know, I, th I think LBE, for example, is, is a good example of uh, a provision that wouldn't apply in the transaction with an existing uh, power product. It's a commodity. Um, there isn't a, a local uh, component to that transaction. Um, so hopefully that, that helps. Um, happy to elaborate any further, though. Uh, can, I, I can I retranslate that? No, I, 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 go ahead. I'd see um, GM um, Hale in the audience. Yeah, 
I think you kind of know what I'm trying to get to. We had this discussion, and I just want to make sure yeah, that um, that our policies are still in. Yeah. Um, out, yeah. yeah. If I'm, if I may, Barbara Hale, Assistant General Manager for Power. Um, so what we're talking about today uh, is a small part of the ordinance that was passed, right? Setting, setting the that. Uh, aside, looking at the broader ordinance that was passed and we've been operating under, it does include waivers. These waivers are um, uh, administratively granted as appropriate, largely because the um, commodities we are purchasing are just that, they are commodities. We're purchasing kilowatt hours, megawatt hours, resource adequacy products, so a capacity products. When we, as an organization, go out for a long-term commitment and ask the marketplace to bring a new project to us to build something, we're not, wave, we're not routinely applying waivers. That's where we have our opportunity to see, is this a project appropriate for um, local business enterprise? Is this a project appropriate for um, our um, social impact partnership? Is this a project where, um, there are community issues that need to be addressed and we need to be attuned to, are there workforce issues? That's where we apply our prevailing wage requirement, you know, make sure we apply our prevailing wage requirements and give preference for um, projects that um, commit to, to these sorts of, of um, uh, uh, city objectives. So those are our opportunities when we're building something, not directly, but through a contractual commitment where we achieve those citywide goals. When we're making purchases and sales of, um, of products in the short term or medium term market where something new isn't gonna be built, we don't really have an opportunity to explore those issues with the counterparty. We're really talking to brokers and sellers. They pick up the phone and tell us, this is the price, it's good for 15 minutes. That kind of a, an environment where we can't apply these city objectives. And that was the basis for the waivers that the commission authorized us to take to the board and that the board granted. Well, thank you very much. And every time I, I you know, trying to be responsible, see a waiver, mm -hmm. I wanna know exactly what I'm waiving. Yes, and, and, um, and we have been report. Uh, the other part that we should mention is, we have been reporting, just for the members of the public who are listening to the dialogue, we have been reporting to the commission and to the board on a quarterly basis on the exercise of this 2143 authority. We have been including in those reports uh, exercise of the waiver as appropriate, the waivers as appropriate. So those are all uh, documented for you and we'll continue to do that. Thank you very much. You bet. Thank you. Thank you. And, and Commissioner Stacy, before, I, can I just do a follow-up on that, Barbara Hale? Um, what I think your, your colleague was trying to explain as an example was is that you, this is about a commodity. It's mm -hmm. not about a labor component. So LBE, it isn't like we're waiving LBE, even though you might. This is, there is no labor comp, there's nothing to violate in terms of the stuff that we have. That was the example I think he was trying to. Yes, uh, I think pull out I think Mr. Himes was ex giving a, giving an example where um, there really isn't any authority to exercise. So um, prevailing wages would not be because if you get on the phone and you you get that 15 second break to get a cheaper price on stuff that is too much, but you got to get it. Um, prevailing wage does not matter. Local hire is that stuff isn't there. Is that right. a summary of what happens? Yes. And there's nothing in this that 
deviates from what has already been passed at the Board of Supervisors two years ago. This is just a little addendum to that. That's right. That we don't, what's being well. proposed here does Correct. not affect the waivers. And by this commission as well. Got No, yeah. I got right. it. Just it. giving us more headroom to make sales so that we can bring more revenue in to offset right. our operating costs. Got it. We got that. Okay, thank, but thank you. you. But I wanted to make sure we were clear on what Commissioner Maxwell had, and I wanted to do a follow-up on that. Thank you. Sorry, Commissioner Stacy. Uh, thank you. I, I may just be dreaming big here, but I see that the the, the original three-year period is up in July of 2025. So by the time this ordinance is passed and takes effect, we have just over a year um, with this 20 million um, cap. Did you consider it all? Is it possible at all to think about um, extending it out another few years given We'll that? be back. Pardon? <laughs> we will be back to extend. I see. Yes, but that is the plan. In, you're not folding it into this effort. <clears throat> Um, no, no, not just because I'm um, just trying to get this pushed through just for, you know, Quickly. this year. Yeah. And then, yes, we do have an effort that is just beginning and ongoing. So you will be seeing us back here in a, okay. about six months. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Absolutely. Um, I actually, when I read this item, I was thinking, why do we even have a cap on sale amount? Uh, can you clarify that for me? So, for example, if in two years we can sell our excess power for even more, why, why can we sell it for a more? Why do we need to have this cap? I'm just wondering. I personally am probably not the individual that can answer that because I was not working here at the time. The delegation of authority that went through, which apologies, I wasn't quite understanding the waiver questions. So because of short term and long term and the difference in the way that we look at that. So um, either Mike or Barbara could probably answer that and give you a little bit more feedback on why they chose 10, 10 million. If I might, Commissioner, the fact is when we first dealt with this a couple of years ago and we dealt with the waiver issue, mm -hmm. um, uh, I think that there was a robust discussion here about uh, getting approvals at the level that we had, and both at the Board of Supervisors as well. So as a practical matter, to ensure that um, uh, uh, the public is confident that there's oversight, um, and that's why you have the waiver provision, I'm sorry, the waiver reporting. I don't, we, we, as, a, as a practical political matter, I don't think that it makes a lot of sense to move forward with some unlimited amount so that people don't have the, co have the confidence that there'd be the oversight. So this is out of respect for the process. And I appreciate that. And I, I remember that conversation actually vividly because um, that was all about purchasing. A lot of that was also mm -hmm. purchasing power. And we, had, we were trying to, uh, if I remember, increase the cap to be able to buy more power in this uh, spot market which I think there should be definitely a cap there. Uh, but this is a little bit of a reverse, but I'm wondering if these two are tied together. So that's why we need to kind of make sure we always come back here, regardless of if it's a cap for purchase or cap for sales. So some of this, as we look at it, has to do with what the market prices are doing currently, which is another reason why we need to increase the cap, because we are in a higher price um, environment from when we were first doing this a few years ago. So I think, you know, I think um, 
although at that time when we were putting those caps in place, they were probably you know right within line with where the market prices were at that time, but now we're at a different place in the market. And having to deal with volatility in the market is not a bad thing for us to come back and, and talk with you guys about that so that you understand what we're doing in our market and why it's happening. You know, give you that economic view of what's going on in our marketplace. So I, I would just imagine that somewhat that's why we have caps in place and why we have limits in place so that we can come back and you know, update you guys on what's going on. Fantastic. I'd love to see all these items yeah. on it. <laughs> Me no too, all into that economic analysis. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering. Thank you. Sure, absolutely. Great. Thank you for that. And are there any other questions or clarifications, commissioners? Okay, let's open this to the uh, general public comment, please. Do we have any members of the public present for comment on item number nine? See none? Seeing none, can we have a motion um, in second to approve item nine? I'll move. Second. Motion in second. Can we have a roll call, please? President Paulson? Aye. Vice President Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Jami? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. Okay, that item passes. Um, item 10, can we read item 10, please? Item 10, discussion and possible action to amend the terms of an employment contract pursuant to San Francisco Charter Section 8B.126A and C between the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission and Dennis Herrera, General Manager of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. Okay, thank you. Um, a little, to put this in context, um, two years ago when the um, a mayor um, nominated and the commission both um, interviewed, hired, and, um, and negotiated a contract with, uh, with, with a general manager, Herrera, um, there was a four-year contract that was put in place, um, and um, based on the way those contract negotiations went, there was a re-opener um, for um, two years, and um, so that this was gonna be revisited by the commission, which uh, we have um, been, um, been uh, revisiting and um, what you see here today um, is is an action item um, what has happened is is that uh, there was again a, a very robust uh, performance review and i want to thank um, um, if i could just say um, dennis um, herrera for um, going you know very deeply into um, answering questions that all five of us as commissioners uh, talked about about uh, what has happened and what we expect over the next couple of years so thank you and there has been um, you know a um, I, I feel comfortable that you know based on because this is contract negotiations I feel comfortable that uh, what you see in your package here is is that um, is that I would entertain a motion um, as is summarized in the paperwork that our council has put together that the uh, this position goes to um, what is known on the on, on the DHR chart um, um, for the MEA salary M MCCP salary plan to go to range A in the department head or I should say in the department head five category as a there, of which there are two categories a high and a low category that that gets split down the middle um, and that 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 is the position um, that 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 um, I would entertain a motion on that we um, um, that we pass to amend the contracts for 2021, and maybe um, our our colleague can um, 
President our, our council can can uh, sorry if I could just be more specific that, about what that is. It's the mid range of uh, it's the midpoint of range C. A better way of putting it, the mid range of of, of range C in Department Head Five um, category, and I would entertain a motion that um, that is the uh, way that the contract will be amended for the next two years um, uh, to complete the four year. So if there is a motion to that effect, or is there any comment? Uh, that's right, I'm sorry. Is there, uh, commissioners, are there any comments right now? If not, um, let's open this uh, to public comment. Do we have any mem members of the public present to provide comment on item number 10? Seeing none. Seeing none, I would entertain a, a motion and a second. Motion to approve. Second. There's a motion and a, and a second. Um, could I have a roll call, please? President Paulson? Aye. Vice President Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Rajami? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? Aye. And you have five ayes. The resolution passes. Can we call the next item, please? Thank you, commissioners. I look forward to working with you for the rest of the term of my contract, and I appreciate the confidence. Thank you very much. Thank you, General Manager Herrera. Next item is item 11. Item 11 is uh, information only, uh, communication items. And um, so I see no discussion. Um, so therefore, we'll move to item 12. Um, are there any items that would like to be initiated by the commissioners for, dis for future discussion? Anything? Um, Seeing none, let's go to. I have my hands up. Ah, Commissioner Ajami. Um, sorry, Mr. Herrera, um, you weren't here last uh, at the last meeting, and I did ask um, our team regarding public comment uh, and the fact that some of the other commissions apparently have um, a virtual public comment or remote public comment still available to them. Um, I would appreciate. I know uh, I spoke to. Um, uh, Ron and um, and um, Mr. Flynn, Flynn and um, our general counsel and um, and I wanted to bring this up to your attention as well. I would like to have some um, sort of somebody look into this and let us know if there is a possibility for us to also incorporate that in our program, if possible. If there are others can do it, why can't we do it? Okay. Um, Commissioner, we will certainly um, get you a. List. My understanding is, and I don't, I, we haven't looked at that yet, right? I don't think we, I, have, has, have we inquired into this yet? My, so, my understanding is that that commissions are not doing this. There may be one that has not changed, but in conformance with um, uh, the mayor's um, office's directive, that most, if not all, commissions have gone. But if we haven't. If we haven't um, gotten a complete list, I will be happy to get you that. I mean, I was wondering if there is that option available and that one commission decided not to do it. I mean, I was under the impression that we are required to only have in-person uh, public comment. Uh, so I was surprised to see there was a flexibility in that process. I think that your first... Um, first uh, impression is correct <laughs> that that was the directive both from the mayor's office and the board of supervisors there may be 
my understanding is there was one commission that did not take any action. I can't speak to why that is, but uh, in response to um, your question uh, or directive, I've asked um, uh, uh, Ms. Bregman to do a survey to see uh, if there are any commissions that are doing that, and I'd be happy to get you that information. Okay, that's on, that would be great, thank you. Okay. And I had a follow-up question that I was trying to ask last time, um, if I could. Has the Board of Supervisors taken any action to that effect, because that's where this originated? Taken uh, action to taken what effect? any action on this particular item themselves? They are no longer allowing remote public comment, is my understanding. They so did that take is action. Still, that is still that in is place. Correct. They have not taken any subsequent action. No, they, they my, took that action. My, my understanding is the, the timing is they took that action. Yes. The mayor's office gave a directive, uh, and that okay. it was my impression that all commissions were following it. Yes. If there's not. But there's not been another no. action taken. That was my question. That is that correct. I wasn't clear enough about it. Okay, thank you. Okay, um, that being said. Excuse me, can I ask a follow-up? Of course. So um, if we figure out there are other commissions that, are, that decided not to take action and they're fine and they can continue doing that, is there something that we can then do to go revert to where we were before and allow for, um, for a remote public engagement? I'm going to defer to legal counsel on that too. Um, I'll follow up with you directly on that. Okay, thank you. Okay, th well, I, we, I think uh, we would all like it, to know what that is yeah, when it's done. I'd I, like I think, to is know. that what you were going to say? Yeah, let's, let, all the commissioners should find out what uh, Commissioner Jami is asking. Okay, so, uh, any other discussions? Yeah, so when will we know? When will you follow up? Since it's already, you've already I'll, discussed I'll it. I'll follow up within the next day or so. And yeah. with each I one have of the us. information. Okay. A memo or something to that effect. Okay, thank you. Um, is there any other discussion um, initiated or information or discussion by the by commissioners? Okay, well, we need to go to public comment on the item that was uh, discussed by, uh, yes. by Commissioner Ajami regarding um, the questions and the inquiries regarding public comment. Is there any public comment? Yes, do we have any public comment on item 12? See none. See none. Okay. So that being said, let's um, let's. Uh, I guess we are. Could you read the items that are going to be heard during closed session, please? Yes. Um, as we noted at the beginning of the meeting, item number fifteen on closed session uh, has been removed from the calendar and will be rescheduled. Item number sixteen, conference with legal counsel Nicholas Navarro versus City and County of San Francisco. Proposed settlement of unlitigated claim resulting from a water main rupture with the city and county of San Francisco to pay Nicholas Navarro $33,291 in exchange for full and final release subject to approval by the Board of Supervisors. Item 17, conference with legal counsel, State Farm et al. versus city and county of San Francisco. Proposed settlement of unlit unlitigated claim resulting in from a water rain from a water main rupture with the city and county of San Francisco to pay State Farm et al. $54,213.76 in exchange for a full and final release subject to final approval from the Board of Supervisors. Okay, thank you. Um, so I would entertain a motion on whether or not to assert the attorney-client privilege. Is there a motion? Move to assert. There a second? Second. Roll call, please. President Paulson? Aye. Vice President Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Jami? Aye. Commissioner Stacy? 
Aye. And you have five ayes. Okay, thank you. Uh, so the commission will now go into closed session. Please stand by.
SF.gov.tv. Open session, um, item 19, um, can we have a motion whether or not to uh, disclose the discussions during closed session? Can I have a motion to not disclose? Not Motion to not disclose. Second. There's a motion and second. Can we have a roll call, please? President Paulson? Aye. Vice President Rivera? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Commissioner Stacy? Aye. You have five ayes. I never voted, Donna. <laughs> I'm sorry? <laughs> you didn't call my name. Oh, I'm so sorry. No worries. Can we, I checked you off and I didn't call you. Commissioner Jami. Yes. We have five eyes. Yes. <laughs> sorry I just want to make sure you Yes, thank counting. you. Thank you. Apologies. <laughs> no okay. worries. Okay, and this, um, this session is now closed and we will meet again on Friday for... Oh, no. You'll what, am I missing something? No, no, Friday, just I want to make note for everybody's knowledge, the Friday budget hearing starts at 9 a.m. and we'll be in room 416, which is down the hall. 416, okay, we got that in the oh, record. Thank you. Okay, we are now adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Did I mean need to report um, this to the Board of Supervisors? No?